welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. All right, in this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Kevin Indig, Director of SEO at Shopify. So when, Kev, when Ethan and I launched breakoutgrowth.net, we were inundated by scores of messages from consultants offering to help us with our SEO. So with so many people claiming that they have the magic potion to game Google's algorithm, how, how could anyone really know who to trust or even where to begin? So that's why we were really excited to talk to Kevin. Shopify's growth is led by one of the best SEOs that I know. So their overall growth department is led by the best SEO that I know. And I'm sure that he would only hire someone who was really good at SEO to lead Shopify's efforts there. So Kevin is a well-known thought leader on this subject who brings realism and straight talk to this discussion. So Ethan, what stood out for you in this one? Yeah, I do think it was very, you know, just straight and to the point with Kevin and like just really simple, you know, he simplified things. You know, he did a great job of explaining why search engine optimization for some businesses is a must have and for others, it's just a nice to have. And, you know, with that framing, it becomes more clear who should invest in it. And, you know, if you're thinking of it as a channel, like to what degree should you, you know, resource it and put effort towards it? So I thought that was really helpful. And then just in general, I think he makes SEO seem just less mysterious and more approachable, less of that black box, which I think is important for our audience. Yeah, he's definitely reframed my thinking around SEO, where when I look at opportunities, I, I instantly say, based on some of the things that he shared with us, this is a great SEO opportunity and we need to think about this from the beginning. Um, I doubt that many of our listeners are going to listen to this episode and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to become an SEO master or even want to become an SEO master. But I do think you're going to get a much better sense of how to become uh, an organization that supports SEO and, and just uh, is, is more SEO friendly overall. Yeah. I mean, how you're going to, you know, just getting everyone in the organization to understand what SEO is means that like, as they're thinking about what they do, they can make sure that, you know, Hey, I'm writing this piece of content. Is it going to be SEO friendly? Is it going to work for our, our audience in that way? Is Google going to look at this in a positive light and, and showcase it? That kind of thing. So yeah, the discussion definitely went a little deeper in the nuts and bolts than we normally do, but not in like a technical way that I think will just you know overwhelm people. It was more about building this more nuanced picture of the role of SEO in driving growth and how it can be resourced and organized to really drive impact. Yeah, uh, it, it was just really practical stuff from whether you should start with a consultant or hire a full-time expert to whether or not you should even think about SEO in your business in the first place. So lots of thoughtful discussion without that crazy jargon and black box answers that I think a lot of us are used to when we hear about SEO. Yeah, hopefully uh, the Breakout Growth Podcast continues to simplify and not complexify things for people. So um, I think we'll probably look to have more conversations like this in the future as well, because I think they're fun for for you and I, and I think really valuable for the people listening. So I think, what do you think? Should I shut up so we can actually get to it? I think our audience would appreciate it if we both shut up at this point. So uh, <laughs> let's get to Kevin. Sounds good. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a huge honor. Yeah, we, we are excited to have you here. I'm, I'm joined by my co-host, Ethan Gar. Hey, Ethan. 
Hey, Sean. Hey, Kevin. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, so we're we're going to be digging into SEO today, and and I think um, part of our part of our goal here is uh, is to make SEO kind of uh, accessible and relevant to you know, people across the company, so that they they really know how to how to think about it. And uh, we won't go super deep into the weeds, but hopefully enough of a primer so that uh, listeners can be dangerous and and maybe protect them from from being. Uh, bs from from uh you know an seo con artist that might be out there um but uh fortunately there's there's some there's some super knowledgeable seo people out there and you're one of them and so i wanted to uh wanted to get you on to um to to give us some insights so um you're running seo at shopify um you know luke levescue is uh one of the one of the people who i like when i think of seo and like the this guy knows a lot. So if you, if you uh, are on his team, that means that, uh, that I don't think anyone could, could pretend their way into, into Shopify. Um, so maybe, maybe we can even just start from that perspective of, of Shopify and, and help us understand why, why is SEO important for Shopify? Sure, sure, absolutely. And yeah, Luke is a, uh, um, yeah, he's uh, something else for sure. Uh, <laughs> so in the in the orbit that is Shopify, there are two dimensions in which SEO exists. On the one hand, as a user acquisition channel for Shopify itself to bring more merchants to Shopify. And on the other hand, as a channel for the merchants themselves, right? So we want to make sure that our product is as search friendly as possible. So merchants can use SEO as a channel to acquire customers. Oh, cool. Okay. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, these are two kind of different lenses and I'm sitting somewhere in the middle of that. Okay. That, that actually makes it sound pretty um, similar to even like Eventbrite uh, when, when I was there way early on the, uh, yeah, the, the the more people can find events because they're they're very uh, you know findable on on Google, then then the more likely that uh, they sell more tickets through organic search, and uh, and then the business model for um, for Eventbrite was to 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 um, you know get a cut of every one of those ticket sales. So I'm sure I'm sure there's some similarities there for sure. Um, so when you think about um, like SEO in general, I can't I can't imagine that like it's it's perfect for every type of business that there's some types of businesses that like would be crazy not to be thinking about SEO. And then there's other businesses that probably, uh, it, it shouldn't be one of their top priorities to try to figure out SEO. So why don't we start with the, the first one of those? Is there, is there a certain type of business that should really have SEO kind of, uh, as one of the first things that they, they think about when they're, when they're driving growth in the business? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, the SEO world is really split into two companies. It's those companies where it's a, a significant channel, where if that channel were to go away tomorrow, that business would die. And then there are other companies where it's much more of an add-on or an extension or a nice to have. Uh, and you kind of want to, you know, it's like you want to take that extra money, sure, extra business. But if Google goes away tomorrow, you're going to be perfectly fine. And the mental model that I use for these types of companies is I, I divide them into aggregators and integrators. Uh, this term, by the way, was not coined by me. There's a super smart guy on the internet called Ben Thompson. He's a, probably know him. Uh, he's a, an analyst um, and writes a lot about these things. And that's where I have the, these terms from, but they're very applicable to SEO as well. And the reason they are is because 
um, they really differentiate between whether SEO is a significant driver for a business or not. So an aggregator could be, it's usually marketplaces. It could be a business like um, Uber Eats, like Booking.com, G2, and Eventbrite, I would also put into the aggregator uh, category because it basically aggregates a lot of events and makes them easily searchable and findable. And then on the other hand, you have integrators. And integrators in the business world, they're usually companies like a Peloton or a Disney, where they're mostly interested in fostering a direct relationship with their customers and then basically increase their margins over time. Uh, from, from SEO perspective, the biggest difference is that aggregators don't create the content themselves. So if we stay with the example of Eventbrite, um, Eventbrite is an aggregator because they have people who want to organize events on their platform, and they basically provide a marketplace between event organizers and event attendees. Integrators, on the other hand, they have to create all the content themselves. So if you think about a Peloton or an Atlassian, the company where I worked at before, uh, and that falls into a typical integrator category, there we have writers or work with outsourced writers. We have to create all the content ourselves, which then ranks in search engines and attracts traffic and eventually business. So it's really integrators versus aggregators. And uh, the same way you can think about where SEO plays a significant role and where it might, might be more of a nice to have. Okay. So, so just for, for clarity then for the, uh, for the integrators, um, that the, the role that SEO would play is more in, uh, in, in creating content around their category and, uh, and that, and that it's a lot of work to be able to make SEO work where on the, um, aggregators it's, uh, there's just a lot of content that's naturally created in the process of, of aggregating a, a, a bunch of different providers. And, and so, um, in that case, you, you want to, Content might also work, but you, you want to just be able to make sure that that all this naturally created content is findable in, in search. Is that, a, is that a good way to think about it? Am I repeating that correctly back to you? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That, that's exactly right. So uh, G2's example, right, they aggregate reviews of software. And that's a fundamentally different approach to SEO because they don't create that content themselves. They just make it uh, findable and easily accessible. So they have listings of different software categories. And within these categories, they have different software vendors, right? And so there, the leverage is really in making sure that Google can find all the pages, that they're uh, you know, providing a certain degree of quality content and so on and so on. And then the opposite is integrators where all the content has to be created by themselves. Okay. So can, and then what, what, one more thing, sorry. Uh, Ethan. And then, uh, so, um, would you say that, that then, um, every company kind of falls into those categories and, and so that basically, so basically SEO is something that can benefit really every company. It's just that the, uh, the aggregators can benefit even more from it. Is that a, is that a, an accurate way of saying it? Yeah, that that's really that that's really how I how I think about it, um, and it's a matter of sequence and and prioritization. So, a an integrator, for example, right? Let's let's take an integrate integrator that maybe sells to um, to other enterprises and has a strong component of sales, like a sales force, for example, right? For them, SEO is not the highest priority by any means, and they should not. If I if, if Salesforce were to start tomorrow, right? If Mark Benioff were to go back and start it again, he should not 
think about SEO as the first way to drive more business. He should think about building a sales force, literally. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> For example, if you're a young uh, company that sells data or say, you know, uh, uh, DoorDash goes back or Uber Eats or Instacart from today one, right? They really want to think about SEO from day one and building their web app and their site with SEO in mind because that's going to scale and compound like crazy. Yeah, perfect. So I'm curious with that, does that really inform the approach to SEO too? I mean, if you're an aggregator, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of science behind it. It's going to be about making sure your site speed is optimized and all these like sort of mechanical pieces to drive SEO. Whereas if you're an integrator, it's more the art of it and coming up with the right content. And I mean, I'm sure both both are important on both sides, but is it more sort of science on the aggregator side, art on the uh, integrator side? Yeah, it's uh, spot on. That's exactly how I think about it. Technical SEO, including site speed, including internal linking, you know, crawling, all these kind of technical factors matter mostly for aggregators. Whereas for integrators, it's it's like it's, you sure you look a little bit at it, but it's it's not close to the effort you would put in as if you were an aggregator. And on the other hand, on the integrator side, when you create the content yourself, it's all about content marketing, building a strong brand, building backlinks, and then having what we call unique content, which is really non-commoditized content, right? So there's really about, hey, what is the content that only I as a company can come up with? And how can I wrap that into a amazing experience for readers and users? Mm, interesting. So if we take a step back, how did how'd you decide to get into this? How, what's your journey that got you to become an SEO guy? <laughs> it's, it's funny because I don't think there's any SEO who was a teenager or kid and said, I want to become an SEO. I'm going to go into this field, you know? Everybody kind of stumbles into it, and and so have I. Uh, the, the short story is that as a kid, I was, uh, you know, very into computer gaming, online gaming. In fact, you know, when, when I was a teenager, broadband internet and, and DSL became available in Germany, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, I was, you know, a, a close uh, circle of friends, and we play a lot of games, and then when the internet became accessible and available. We played online and we applied for some tournaments for games. And I became the guy to figure out how to build a website. And it kind of all, you know, evolved from there. I, I built a scrappy website uh, with iframes and tables and stuff. It was it was horrible uh, and taught myself a little bit of CSS and eventually some Photoshop. And eventually I, I realized that people come from different sources. I, th I found this thing called Google. And then I kind of fell into this rabbit hole, which is SEO. And back at the day, or back in the days, it was very hacky. It was kind of this dark art, and and you know it was it was very mysterious. And then I got very lucky to kind of grow with the industry. And today it's it's a it's a multi billion dollar industry. It's not as hacky anymore at all. You have lots of SEOs, lots of companies investing in SEO. And uh, I kind of I kind of fell into it through computer games. That's great. And is was there a moment where you kind of felt like? I get this. I, I, you know, now I am world class at this. Whew, I still, you know, there's still days like, uh, am I world class at this? No, but in all seriousness, <laughs> uh, I there wasn't one defining moment for me when I was like, oh man, I kind of, you know, I really, I'm really good at this. Uh, it was more a series of events, but the first time when I started to develop a hunch was when I finished my traineeship. So after college, I had a, a quick stint in investment banking. I, I really thought I wanted to do that and then realized that's that's not what I wanted to do at all. Uh, and then I I went to a enterprise consultancy um, and I started as a trainee 
um, where I learned the craft kind of, you know, from from the ground up. And um, I, I finished my traineeship in mo- nine months instead of 12 months, and I got promoted to a, to a regular consultant. And that's when I started to think, oh, okay, this, this kind of works out. But uh, I, I really kind of got a different feeling for it when I came to the U.S. So as I mentioned, I was born and raised in Germany. Uh, and then in my mid-20s, I came to the U.S. and I spent six years in Silicon Valley. And I very quickly got a lot of very positive feedback. And, you know, I think it has a little bit to do with American culture, which is just very reinforcing, very supporting and positive, whereas maybe German culture is a bit more realistic, sometimes pessimistic and sometimes a bit more grounding. And so that actually accelerated me. And, uh, you know, when I started to kind of, quote unquote, believe in myself, it it kind of set off this, this flywheel where I was like, oh, maybe I can do this and I should aim a bit higher and then that worked out. And so that was kind of a spiral that really kicked things off much faster. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually, uh, I used to run um, European operations for a, uh, for a company that um, Ethan and I worked with. And then I stayed over and, and ran marketing for, for a different uh, European company and, uh, and the, such a, a different kind of culture in Germany um, in terms of uh, like the best uh, best marketing material came out of there because it always had to be highest quality, very very like well well created. But there was there was definitely a uh, a not not as much warm and fuzzy, very like honest honest assessment when when there was disappointment with things. So yeah, I, I think. Uh, it, it, America would seem very warm and fuzzy after that because it's, it's uh, a lot of a lot of positive reinforcement. Not always. I mean, maybe if you're working for Steve Jobs, it might be a little different. But uh, yeah. but, but I think in general. So um, so you know, I I think um, th- there is sort of you know my first experience with with SEO was kind of bringing in a firm to do some SEO when I was at LogMeIn, and and I kind of didn't know what we got, and it kind of felt like. Like we probably just wasted some money, and um, so I like I, I'm I'm curious when yeah, you know, there's probably a lot of people who've done a lot of wrong things when it comes to SEO. So what what are kind of the most common wrong things that are done? Yeah, like what what do most people get wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's certainly a lot, and I think you know, um, in in general, you kind of want to see SEO as a channel, and you want to validate it like any other channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, every business, and we can go deeper into how the business model relates to how SEO fits in. But every business needs to kind of define and find its own growth channels. And right. SEO is often a shiny thing. It's it's not always super clear what to do and how to do it right. And uh, it's, it's tempting, especially as a founder, to kind of see it as this magical thing that will propel the business forward. But as yeah. we already... Viral plus SEO is like world's greatest growth <laughs> engine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Definitely a red flag for any uh, angel investor uh, to hear that. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. You want to validate it. You want to be very critical about it, right? So um, I, uh, I strongly advise to, to treat it like an experiment and to set clear criteria for when that experiment turns out successful. Um, and... Um, so, but there, there are a couple of like common misconceptions about SEO that that I honestly think we as the SEO community don't do a good enough job in in explaining. And so, if I had to to pick three, uh, one of them, which is pretty important, is that SEO is this very stable channel or source of traffic and business. 
in reality is that that's not the case anymore. That used to be the case, but today we find ourselves in a world where there are more search results on websites than ever before, right? And Google has become really smart. It's basically this big A-B testing engine on steroids. And so what happens a lot of times is that Google shuffles their search results constantly and tests different results in different positions. So it could perfectly be that you have a really good, say, blog article or, or just page that, that actually provides a lot of use, useful information. Um, but Google just decides to see what happens when a competitor ranks first instead of you. So there is a natural fluctuation and volatility that business has have to take into account. It's not a, it's not a given anymore. It's not as uh, stable anymore. Another thing is that a lot of companies focus on only what happens on their website, right? They focus on the technical stuff. They focus on the content. And that's not wrong but they disregard what happens before people even click through to their site, what happens in the search results pages. And that has become a huge point of leverage because Google gives more and more direct answers in the search result and uses more what I call SERP features to enrich the search results. So a, a SERP is a search results page and SERP features are things like map integrations or image carousels or sometimes even direct answers that give the answer to the user before they even click through to the search, uh, to the website, right? And uh, you as a business and, and anybody who does SEO really wants to think hard about what is the experience that users have when they search for a term that's relevant for me and how can I stick out from the noise, right? So, and, and the mistake that people make is they just focus on their own side but completely disregard what happens before people even click through. Uh, maybe the last thing I would I would offer is that it's very sexy to say, oh, just create a lot of good content. Um, but reality is that the content game has become incredibly competitive. It's easier to create content than ever before. And, you know, creator co economy, for example, is a huge example of that. Anybody can these days, you know, create content, whether it's on a website or YouTube videos, TikTok, Instagram, all this kind of stuff. And as a business, you really want to think hard about what is my competitive advantage when it comes to content that relates to the experience, it relates to the depth, relates to features of your site. Um, but it all needs to aim at differentiation, right? People need to understand that when they come to your site, that's they get something that they cannot get anywhere else. And that's when you build a true competitive advantage, right? So just creating a lot of content, that, that will cost a lot of money and effort and time, but it, it will not always yield to the result that you want to. As you, met, as you described that, it seems like... Um a lot of your role as an SEO is deconstructing and trying to under, trying to sort of game the Google system. I, game's the wrong word, but really deconstruct what Google is doing and what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, how much of what you and your team do is thinking, what's in it for Google? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think that's, that's really the way to think about it. Um, because... So, so the, the way or kind of like a, 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 a tagline that I keep repeating over and over is that Back in the old days, right, old school SEO was all about understanding how to, uh, quote unquote, um, uh, kind of like find out the, the latest tactics and tricks and hacks and have like this unique thing that nobody else does. And the new kind of approach to SEO is really that the teams win that have the best understanding of what happens in the search results. Because it can totally be that you have amazing content and Google just decides to give the answer right away and then it's null, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. So... Uh, and that's not easy. I mean, the, the tools out there, there are lots of SEO tools, but none of them is perfect. And some of them lack 
important information because the search results develop so quickly, so fast. There's so much that happens all the time. So it's the teams that have the best understanding of what's going on that win. Uh, and just to paint the picture at Shopify, we build a whole tool suite of custom in-house tools that only we have to really satisfy that need. So um, it's, I think a lot of teams and a lot of, a lot of companies underinvest into understanding what's really going on in the search results and what Google really wants. Because by looking at the SERP features that Google shows, we can get an understanding or we can kind of reverse engineer what Google really tries to achieve. So an example is when people Google something like uh, tattoos, I'm just making something up, there's a high likelihood that they're looking for inspiration for tattoos. And so Google will show a lot of visuals to satisfy that need. And by just, even without knowing the keyword, but just by looking at what Google displays in the search results, you can reverse engineer what we have to provide ourselves, right? So if I write a blog articles without uh, visuals, I'm probably, probably not going to get very far. But if I find a way to maybe create a, a thousand inspiring tattoo pictures, then I might have a competitive advantage. And so that's really how to think about SEO in this new world. I love that. That's great. Um, so one of the things, and, and I've, I've heard you kind of reference this a little bit, but I've, I've, I always hear it related to SEO is that like, you know, there's changes all the time. There's, you know, Google's changing the way that they're doing things or like one big algorithm change and suddenly Suddenly, everything you knew, thought you knew about SEO is out the window and everyone needs to re rebuild their rankings. But I want to take it from the other direction on that. What's, what's the thing that's actually been fairly constant over the last 10 years? Is there, is there, is there any kind of like base knowledge that, that's uh, really been kind of lasting that, that serves you well over the long term? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we still, in SEO, we're still using keywords, um, right? So people still... Use, use text search to, to find what they're looking for. Uh, for now, I'll, I'll elaborate in a second, but the keywords still matter. You just want to kind of update your knowledge and think about intentions or topics, right? So um, the reality is that pages can rank for thousands of keywords, right? So it's not just a one-to-one -one map where one page goes after one keyword. Reality is that Google understands content and the web so well that they will try to rank you for many different versions or iterations of a keyword. So an example, Airbnb, right? They used, they, they used to have these great pages for um, the keyword things to do in San Francisco. And they would go through all permutations for all cities. So they have that for San Francisco, Chicago, New York City, Baltimore, whatever. But Google understands that this is an intention. When people look for that keyword, they want they have a, an intent. We call this user intent. And if you if you do it right, you can rank for thousands of iterations and not just things to do in San Francisco, but also attraction San Francisco, what to do in San Francisco, what's going on in San Francisco, right? All these kind of different ways to phrase the same thing. So still think about uh, keywords and keywords still matter. Um, backlinks still matter. Uh, and this is kind of one of these open, dark secrets um, where Google really tries to, to sell us on, oh, don't worry about backlinks and, and you know, can just take care of this. We understand this better than you do. But reality is that backlinks still matter. And just to take a quick step back, backlinks are actually what made Google one of the most successful startup mm -hmm. in the history of humankind. That's the whole page rank thing, right? Exactly. Page, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's the, the initial patent that made Google, you know, uh, kill all the other search engines and, and become so successful. Uh, and it's all about page rank. It's all about references from other sites. And the more relevant and important that site is in my space, 
the more important a reference or a backlink from that site will be for me. And Google has gotten a lot better in understanding the context of that uh, backlink and punishing people who are too aggressive with it or companies who are too aggressive with it. Uh, but the reality is that backlinks still have a big impact. They still matter. There's a whole dark secret, not so secret, but you know, an unspoken about industry, about people who sell links and trade links and do all this kind of stuff. And that, that still matters. And the last thing I would want to mention is, again, that, that users still search with text. They still go to Google and they type in a search. Um, and that can come, that can change significantly. There's like this running industry joke about voice search, which like five years ago was touted as the next big thing. And, uh, you know, five years ago, there came out the statistic that said that, oh, in five years in the future, 50% of all searches will be with voice devices. That's not really what has happened. But uh, Google is pursuing this this new grand vision of ambient computing. The idea of ambient computing is really that all the devices around you, your watch, your computer, your phone, maybe your glasses at some point of time, your Google Home, your car, they'll all kind of fade into the background, but all interact with each other and all share a context, like where you are right now, what the previous searches were, what you're kind of looking at right now. Um, and and it's, it's very interesting because that means that search will detach from text. Text will still work and be relevant, but people will use their voice more or will take a picture of something and, and say, hey, I want that in a different color or uh, tell me what this is or how do we repair, repair this thing that I don't even know what it's called, right? This is a big push that Google is doing right now. And to take a even larger step back, it is absolutely fascinating because they're kind of going in the opposite direction of Facebook, right? Facebook wants to create the metaverse, which is kind of a new digital world. And Google really wants to digitize the, the world. real world. <laughs> yeah, wants to digitize the real world. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's fascinating because search is still driving over 80% of Alphabet's revenues. And they're kind of detaching it from just the pure text and trying to add as much context as that human makes possible. a ton of sense. Yeah. So it's still text, but uh, maybe not forever. That's cool. I know uh, Ethan's on the on the brink of asking a question here, but I want to squeeze squeeze one yeah, more. No, in between. <laughs> that, yeah, I'm, something that's just kind of been brewing in my head. So you you had uh, you had talked about um, in, in one of the first questions I'd asked. You talked about these the aggregators and the integrators, and that aggregators should be thinking about SEO from kind of day one in the business. And um, so I just want to dig a little bit deeper on that. So if if they should be thinking about a day one, what should they actually do? And and kind of like obviously, obviously there's a there's a forty hour answer there, but um, in in kind of like a one minute snippet of of like to help them point them in the right direction. What what should they actually do if they're an aggregator, kind of in in the very early days of the business? One hundred percent. I'll keep this super short. The first thing is they want to they want to understand what kind of inventory they have, right? Um, so, for in the case of G twos, it's software reviews. In case of Eventbrite, it's events. Uh, in case of booking, it's hotels, uh, maybe cars and restaurants. The next thing is to understand about uh, is is to think and, and research what different intents their audience has, right? So, uh, in the case of G two for software reviews, for example, you wanna you wanna look at all the different software vendors in a certain category like marketing automation. I just want to understand who are what are all the different you know tools that I can use within the marketing automation category. But you also want to compare different software tools with each other. So comparison is an intention. 
uh, and then maybe you want to find an alternative to a current tool that you're already using. So you want to get a high-level understanding of the intents or jobs to be done. There's this amazing framework from Clayton Christensen about the basic jobs that people try to get done. And then as a third step, you want to understand how you can create different types of pages that can satisfy, satisfy that intention. So in the case of G2, obviously the, the site has a lot of category pages for all the different software categories, which are easily searchable. So people can just skim and browse and, and look. But they also have alternatives pages and comparison pages. And these are different page types that scale over hundreds of thousands of categories or products or comparisons. And so by mapping that out, even on a, on a high level, um, that's, how, that's how an aggregator really wants to think about it. Um, in the case of Eventbrite, it could be different types of events or different uh, themes of the events. So you kind of want to think about your taxonomy or jobs to be done and then map actual pages that you can serve Google and index in Google uh, to these different types of intent. You, you mentioned sort of taxonomy and mapping. And um, I worked with a company a little while ago that um, they had actually had a, a, a precipitous drop in their uh, their search ranking. And I, th I think it was a, some changes they made and some that Google made. And then a big part of trying to recapture what they had lost was site mapping. And site mapping sounds like something that Sean and I were talking about, you know, or hearing about in 1997 and 98. Is, so is that still really important in this world and the, the ecosystem to, to really understand how to draw, how to build a site map, how to properly index and control things together? It is. It is. There, there are two types of sitemaps. There are XML sitemaps and HTML sitemaps. And both of them serve a very similar need, which is to help Google find all pages on your site uh, and give Google kind of an understanding for the relevance and importance of all of these pages. In the context of an aggregator, you can have hundreds of thousands, millions of pages, which is why SEO is such a significant channel for your business. And by creating an XML sitemap or several XML sitemaps and a large HTML sitemap, Google can just find these in an easier way. So just to like quickly explain the difference between the two, an XML sitemap is something like a feed that only Google sees. You can upload that in a, in a free tool provided by Google called the Google Search Console. Um, and you can structure these XML sitemaps in a way you want, say by categories, page typed, by time. It, it's really up to you. And the HTML sitemap is an actual page on your website with links to all the different categories, blog articles, products, basically anything that lives on your site so that the, the Google crawler can just, you know, the Google machine can just come to your site and follow all these links and then find all the content on your site. And um, by, by orphaning pages, which can sometimes happen by accident, Orphaning pages basically means that uh, some, some pages cannot be found by Google. By, by doing that, you can basically cut off your lifeline to these pages because Google cannot find them. There might be cases where it's intentional, say in the case of landing pages just for paid ads, but that's like a more of an edge case. So generally, sitemaps are still absolutely essential when it comes to SEO, and you can, you can be very advanced with them. You can structure them in ways that help you better understand Google's behavior on your site, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're... An aggregator, for example, where you know that this is going to be a really important part of your business, and let's say you're, you know, you're early on, as and you're saying it's really important to jump into this for, right from the beginning. What's the right way to do it? I mean, should should CEOs be looking for consultants? Should they be looking to outside firms that they can trust? Should they be bringing an, you know, a person like you in house? Where how do you, how would you recommend 
founders think about this? So for the case of an aggregator, um, I, I generally, as a, as a founder, you have a, a billion things to do, and you need to be very careful with any step or move you make, especially in the beginning. So to initially just understand what category you fall in, if you have leverage in SEO or not, you probably want to talk to a consultant to just kind of get you get you started. However, in the case of an aggregator, once there is a strong case to be made for SEO in a company, you want to in-house or in-source as quickly as possible because the, the learnings that you gain over time will compound and it's important to kind of keep them in the company. Uh, it doesn't always have to be an SEO. It can also be a, a head of growth or a growth lead or just somebody who's looking at growth uh, who can you know, ideally has some basic SEO knowledge who can, who can, who can work with a consultant to, you know, just make sure that basic things are correct. Um, but then execute and implement the validation of SEO and, and scale themselves in house. So ideally a kind of mix of both in the beginning, if you have strong conviction as a founder that SEO is important, then I would have a, a, a growth person or a growth expert to take that on full time with the goal of validating SEO as a significant channel for the company. Yeah. So in, in terms of validating, um, <laughs> I know, you know, compared to like, like if it's SEM, you know, so paid search, you can, you can kind of validate that in an afternoon. SEO takes a little bit longer. So how, how can, you know, so what does that timeline look like for validation? What does success look like? Like it, just a little, little bit of insight on that would be helpful. Yeah, it's, it's a great point uh, because, as you mentioned, SEO can take quite a while. However, validation, in my definition, means an impact on revenue. And you can define proxy metrics to understand that better. So there is something like a, um, like a, like a life cycle of a page um, un until it kind of ranks in search engines and users come to it and then convert. So you basically you create the page, Google finds it for the first time, it starts to rank and drive some traffic. Users come to the site and ideally they convert or buy on your site. And you can measure proxy metrics like the impressions that you get in search results, which you can, again, measure in, in Search Console, which is a free tool provided by Google. So you can look at impressions, which is the earliest metric in this chain of, of proxy metric uh, metrics. Um, impressions, then you can measure clicks, then you can measure things like uh, conversions or sales. So even though it takes a while for SEO to really, you know, uh, catch a lot of traction or deliver a lot of traffic, you can measure these proxy metrics and then see if they all line up to an eventual conversion or to eventual revenue. And that's that's really how I would approach it. I would go after very low competition keywords in the beginning. Um, and then see if impressions go up, clicks go up, ranks go up, and then eventually conversions go up or leads go up or some form of conversion intent. Um, and then see if, if that kind of, if that's scalable in my company. Cool. And then uh, I want to go back to something that you talked about as well the, a minute ago. So usually your answers take a little bit of time to percolate in my head. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Um, so you, you had said something about... Uh, yeah, you want to bring it in-house pretty fast if you're an aggregator and it can be either in the form of a of a like SEO in-house or a head of growth who works closely with a consultant. Um, that that kind of leads me to think um, because I've, I've seen and I'm sure you've seen this as well, where 
there's some people that, that can be great. Like, like some companies can be really good at, at getting a lot of search traffic to the site. And, um, but that may not have much to do with, with the value that they're supposed to provide and how they monetize. And, and so it's kind of like they're, they're almost have two worlds that they're going. And so I think the benefit when you said of kind of bringing it in house is that, um, particularly if you have a head of growth who may have good SEO strength or, or may work closely with someone with good SEO strength that then there becomes some knowledge transfer, but that, that ultimately you want to build that full system where it's not just the traffic being there. So kind of building on what you just talked about there, that it's, it's also, does it ultimately convert into revenue? And, and I think that's when we think about a head of growth, that's really what, what a head of growth should be thinking about is, is kind of, you know, not just acquisition, but acquisition, conversion, activating them to a great experience with the product, helping them achieve the job to be done and, and, and ultimately retaining and monetizing them and, and building that interdependent system. And, uh, and so SEO is a really important component of that for certain businesses, but, but bringing that all together, um, so I, I'm just, I'm curious sort of where does SEO begin and where does, where does kind of it intersect with growth done well and, and should a good SEO actually be thinking about that, that full machine? I love that question because that has really changed over the last 10 years where maybe 10 years ago, um, you know, SEO used to be its own discipline, its own department. Um, and today we see that SEO is kind of more as it's more like a layer that stretches across many different uh, departments in an organization like engineering, uh, maybe writing or copy creation, um, design, right? So it becomes more like an additional layer that everybody should be thinking about. And that's why I think it's so powerful when, when growth has or quote unquote owns SEO. So at Shopify, SEO is part of the growth organization, right? Um, and what, what I love about it is, first of all, um, growth and, and growth experts, they're very, um, they're, they're very target oriented and they're very impact oriented. And sometimes SEOs can be stuck too much on organic traffic or ranks, but then disregard what the actual business impact is, right? At the end of the day, it's all a means to an end. And that end is to grow the business. Uh, and uh, growth people hold themselves to that high standard, to that high bar oftentimes. And really, they're very critical and very binary. And does this, is this impactful? Yes, no. Okay, if it's not, then let's look at something else. And if it is, then let's double down on it. Another advantage that growth has um, is that it often has dedicated engineering resources or some sort of dedicated engineering capacity, which is absolutely crucial for SEO. Um, and that goes back to SEO just having lots of dependencies. I mean, there's really, you know, as SEOs, you don't, you barely do stuff yourself. There's barely deliverables coming out of SEO other than recommendations. And so the, the actual, uh, you know, people or departments that do this stuff are the engineers, designers, writers, et cetera, et cetera. So that's another reason for why it makes sense to that to be a, a discipline of um, growth. And then just in general, I love the kind of product oriented and product focused um, component of growth where it's about the, the complete experience, right? It doesn't, and that's also important for SEO. It doesn't just stop when the people come to the site, but as you, you mentioned, you care about activation and maybe even retention or maybe even brand and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there are, you know, there are cases in which SEO just 
but the job is done when the visitor comes to the site, but that doesn't really work anymore because Google can deeply understand when people have a good experience on a website and when not. So generally, I'm a big fan of SEO being part of growth. Um, and especially for aggregators, that makes perfect sense. There are integrators where it might make sense to be part of marketing where the game just works a little different, but for an aggregator, absolutely. As you were asking that question, I was thinking like, what does the ideal SEO team look like? And I think at Shopify, you probably, I, I mean, we've spoke to Morgan, we've spoken to Morgan Brown. I know your growth team is huge. So being able to have all of those resources completely dedicated from engineering to design to copywriting right there is great. But for smaller companies where that might not be um, really available, um, I imagine that what becomes really important is that everybody understands SEO and even the people who are not directly involved with it um, know how to support it. Um, do you have thoughts on how to evangelize, like how the SEO lead should evangelize the value and importance to the rest of the team and how to get other people involved and excited about it? Because it does sound like a black box if you don't know what it is, you know, what it does and how it works. Yeah, it makes me smile because I, I faced exactly that situation at Atlassian uh, when I worked there a while ago. Uh, and, and the SEO team was very small. It was the first SEO hire, and then I slowly built out a team over time. But SEO is, uh, sorry, Atlassian is a huge organization with a, with a vast product portfolio. Um, and there was no way that we were going to build out a big enough SEO team to serve all the requests that are coming in, but also go after all the opportunities that are out there. And so you already hinted at this, that SEO is kind of a company-wide job and almost everyone can contribute to SEO. And the way that we quote unquote scaled SEO is by um, inspiring people to do things that are good for SEO. So we went on a whole campaign across the company and uh, held workshops with different types of departments, with all the writers, with the engineers, with the designers, with uh, the uh, the PMMs, the, the product marketing managers, with the PMs, with almost everyone in the company. And we tailored these workshops specifically to them and explained to them why SEO is important, how it can impact the company, and how they can make an impact. And the funny thing is that you saw that Typically, 50% of the people are engaged. The other 50 people, they're, no, maybe you don't convince them or so. And of those other 50%, um, a handful of them will try out the things that you recommended. And what happens and what's really cool to see is when the things that they do, right, when a writer creates an article in a, in a slightly different way to make sure it's search-friendly, and then they see the results, and you bring that result back to them, that's when you see this kind of, it's almost like a, like a flywheel, right? Where they, they you know, they, they licked a little bit of blood and they're like, oh man, this is amazing. This is so much fun. And then they go, and then you have this kind of, uh, this, uh, this, this engine that starts to grow out of it. They start to quote unquote, uh, in fact, or inspire their colleagues. And that's, that's when you can have real impact. And that happens, and again, in every in any craft, it can happen in, in engineering as well. And the important piece there is not just education, but closing the loop by bringing the results back to people, by showing them what they did by adopting a different behavior. And once you get that going, it's, it's almost like it's a self-reinforcing engine where people just get excited, they present at company all hands or at the team meetings, and then you're in a good place. It took us you know, a, a good six to, to 12 months to get that rolling. But once we were there, our impact scaled through the whole company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely have found results drive buy-in. And uh, and yeah, and I, I basically optimized my whole approach at Dropbox of like, get enough experiments through 
to get some good results, to convince everyone to then have that flywheel of like, oh my God, this works. This is math. Just we, we, we try stuff and some of it's going to work well and it's going to keep moving up and then, and then get that buy-in. And I actually remember interviewing Luke years ago at a conference uh, when he was still at TripAdvisor. And I think he was talking about uh, a, and like an SEO wins newsletter that he, he created at, at TripAdvisor where SEO was sort of a really important part of TripAdvisor, but um, most, of, most of the broader company didn't really even think about it or know about it. But once they started this new, like when, once they started this newsletter where they were sending out the wins, he's like, people would get the uh, attaboys and attagirls just like walking down the halls of, of, of TripAdvisor and, and that, that drove a lot more buy-in. So it's, uh, that's cool. And then finally, like one other thing that just came out, uh, I am in the last several years of, of trying a lot of stuff to get, to get company buy-in just for growth in general, um, workshops have by far been the most impactful. So it's cool to hear you say that. Like once, once you, if you can get people out of their day-to-day job and, and really understanding something on a good enough level and understanding the role they can play and even, even driving some of that uh, collaboration to, to, to come to some decisions and, and, and then, and then build that, that feedback, uh, loop on wins on the back end of something like that, that, that drives more cultural and company transformation than anything I've seen. It's pure magic. And it's in part because you want to align kind of, or you kind of want to play to people's goals too, right? I mean, usually yeah. if you work in a startup, you have ambitious goals, you know, uh, at best and sometimes outrageous goals and you're, you want to do everything you can to achieve them. And SEO, I see it as a, as a skill you can give to people to achieve their goals. You just need to convince them by showing them what they actually do. So yeah, it's exactly that same uh, experience that I had. And as you said, it can be company transforming to a degree where all of a sudden everybody thinks about SEO. Um, and that's that's when your job is, I mean, it's not it's never fully done, right? But that's when you can <laughs> sit back and you're like, man, I got the whole company behind me. How awesome right. is that? When Ethan and I have even come to the conclusion that like we won't do any hands-on work with a company unless it starts with a workshop because it's just too frustrating trying to drive the change if you can't drive the alignment up front. Yeah, yeah, huge. Alignment is huge. And by the way, we also have a wins newsletter at, at Shopify uh, for all the growth stuff that we do because there's That's a awesome. lot of things going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just it's awesome to see to read. Uh, it's awesome to read that email. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me that he would uh, he would bring that with him if it, <laughs> if it worked years ago. Uh, Ethan, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, I guess we should. Uh, we're. I, I actually have. Oh, yeah, I got have one <laughs> one more that I wanted to ask. Just um, again, I think a lot of our listeners are not your your necessarily deep SEO practitioners, even though I'm sure if there are some that they're going to actually get a lot out of this conversation. But um, if we if we think about more on the executive side who are thinking about getting started with SEO, I think there's been some great guidance, but. Um, just a more open-ended question to you: Is there is there anything else that you that you feel like you uh, want to communicate to them uh, in terms of what they should be thinking about as they as they kick off an SEO initiative? Yeah, the the number one thing is probably differentiation, right? Um, I so I, I blog on a regular basis, and one of the blogs that I wrote a while ago um, that really hit home is this idea of commodity content. Uh, and so what's happening a lot of times out there is that, you know, companies get excited about SEO and, and driving organic traffic with content, 
but they don't put enough time and effort into differentiating their content. As I mentioned before, to make sure that it's one of a kind and people come to your site to get that type of content. And it often goes back to having unique data and insights. Uh, I mean, Shopify, for example, is blessed with data and insights. We have a lot of merchants out there, uh, billions. And so we can we can get a pretty accurate snapshot of the e-commerce landscape and struggles, right? And so or struggles and benefits and opportunities and everything involved. So you, you really want to think critically about what can I bring to the table that only I have access to, and it's, it's usually ideally insights or maybe it's an experience, uh, as a competitive advantage against other companies. And so... It, I think too many CEOs or founders um, fall into the trap of just wanting to get going on this shiny object that is content, but they're not setting their teams up for success but by giving them access to some unique insight, insights that a company has. Uh, ideally, you have a data scientist who can help leveraging that, and that's when you're in a really good spot. Um, but uh, today's content game, it's, it's not enough to just look at what already ranks well and synthesize or summarize that in your content. You really have to have experts and you have to have insights that make it worth for people to click through to your site. So that would be my, my one appeal. Yeah, it's funny. Um, as Sean and I have put out our own content over time, one of the things that we, you know, we've, we, we've done a few things to try to be SEO friendly, but like one thing we just always agreed on is that like, you know, probably what Google wants most is valuable content, content that matters. And uh, I, we're maybe not as prolific as either one of us would like to be in terms of getting our content out there. But, um, but I do think when we, you know, if we, the more we focus on trying to make it valuable, the more effective it is in reaching people. And you see it in, in how the, how Google picks it up and, you know, how it's, you know, how people find it. So it's interesting. So I know we're almost out of time, but we always like to follow up with one final question, which is, what do you feel like you understand about growth today that maybe you didn't understand a couple of years ago? And if you want to adapt that more for SEO specific, feel free. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think the, the one thing that I learned um, over the years is really how dependent growth and growth mechanics are on the business model. So I, I see a lot of cookie cutter approaches or templated approaches on growth where maybe people had a good experience uh, and cracked some growth mechanics at one company and try to bring that to the next company. But that's not always possible unless you stay in that same industry or type of company, right? So we began the conversation with aggregators versus integrators. And the reason is that they, they scale in growth and in SEO fundamentally different. And that to me was one of the biggest uh, you know lessons. We, we spoke about Luke and, and TripAdvisor and Shopify and the reality is that TripAdvisor and Shopify have fundamentally different growth mechanics and SEO mechanics as well. So the thing that I learned is to look for, you know, or get an understanding of the networks, if, network effects of a business and how they scale over time, if they even are network effects, um, where the points of scale and leverage are how users engage with your product and how users pay for your product as well. Uh, not, you know, uh, like there's a, there's this uh, famous uh, example of uh, HubSpot versus Salesforce where HubSpot is more on the lower end of the market in terms of price points. And therefore, you know, they might have a sales team now, but they, they scaled famously with SEO early on because it's a self-serve bottoms up sales product. Whereas a Salesforce, they don't start with SEO in mind. They start more with their salespeople and, and, and sales in mind. So, that those are different business models that are tied to engagement, monetization, but also network effects. And that, that's kind of the biggest lesson that I learned over the years. 
Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. I've I've actually learned a, a ton, and uh, I'm I'm hoping and expecting that our audience will as well. So, thank you so much for sharing your experience and expertise in SEO, and uh, for everyone tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.